and welcome to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. Join us for interviews, updates and chat with artists, influencers and those that manufacture the gear that we love. Hello and welcome to uh, another edition of 9 to 42, the podcast uh, from the guys behind the guitar show. Um, I'm once again looking at my good friend Jason on screen. Morning, Jace. Morning, Ant. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? I'm really well, actually. I'm suffering from um, a little bit from the podcaster's nightmare of a bit of a croaky voice, which I don't know if that's... It's either something... So it's either COVID or throat cancer. Let's but yeah. let's let's hope it's not those, or it's more likely it's um, it's hay fever and allergies, um, or it could just be literally talking too much. Um, so, so it could be any of those. But apart from that, I'm fine. How are you? Uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm also got hay fever. Right. Um, okay. Which is remarkable, given that it chucked it down all day yesterday. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. It makes no pollen makes no sense. But you know, we'll leave that one. We'll leave that one well alone. Um, one of the reasons. I have got a little bit of a sore throat is that we have we for the past two weeks have done nothing but talk to people for this podcast haven't we oh I know it's been amazing I mean it's a, there's not many positives to uh, the current lockdown situation but the fact that loads of people have got nothing to do other than talk to us yeah has been, and that <laughs> really been, is uh... the square root of fuck all to do that really yeah. is that's what um, it looks like it's just been really good, you know. Every email I've sent out going, you know, hey, would you like to come on the podcast? They will come back almost instantly with, yes, please. I know, I know. It's been well. I was thinking back over. So it's only a week and a half ago that we had a rather strange, surreal but beautiful conversation with uh, with Bumblefoot with uh, with Ron. Yeah. But that feels like an eternity ago. But it was actually only about nine, ten days. Oh God, was it? Yeah. Um, Last Monday, yeah, wasn't it? it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and since then we have spoken to, uh, and not in any kind of order. In fact, we'll do it chronologically, so there's no favouritism. We've spoken to Glenn Matlock. Yeah, Earl Slick, Earl Slick, Simon Bartholomew, Thorpe FX, Thorpe FX, and yesterday, Ryan Roxy, Ryan Roxy. So um, they're all captured. Uh, various states of audio quality because of the way we've had to record at the moment, but they're all captured. They're all fascinating. I've been enjoying... I, I started off loving the Bumblefoot one. thought that was a fantastic interview, thinking I'm never going to enjoy an interview as much as that one. And I've enjoyed every one since. Yeah. Equally been, as much. We have been really lucky. Uh, yeah. Everybody's been um, quite warm, yeah. uh, quite chatty. Um, they've been... Um, they've all been a bit different. Yeah. Um, you know, I the uh, you know, I think probably the favorite favorite was the uh, the the Glenn Matlock Earl Slick in lockdown <laughs> yeah. together kind yeah. of. That was hilarious actually. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 really fun actually. I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to getting that out including some of the the little bits of snippets that maybe won't make the podcast but I think we can put in as extras where they're talking to each other which yeah. were which were very funny. Um, but yeah, no, they, no, they've all been great. So today, um, so that they're all they're all on the way. We've got those to to put out, which is which is really exciting. Today we're going to go back to the final interview that uh, I recorded at the guitar show this year back in uh, 
back in early March. And we're talking to um, two people, actually, whose careers to a certain extent, extent can't even talk, are inextricably linked. And that's Rob Chapman and Rabia Mossad. Now, um, Rob, many people will know from Chapman Guitars or will know from his work on Anderson's channel or will know from his, his work on his own YouTube channel or from uh, his band Dorje. Um, and Rabia, to a certain extent, exactly the same. They've kind of mirrored each other's paths a little bit. Uh, but it was a fascinating chat with both of them about about something that I guess we now consider to be normal in terms of this kind of influencer personality. Because Rob really kicked the door open um, in a yeah, guitar I mean, it's sense. Definitely the, I mean, I, I'm aware that there are people in the States that were doing it, but he was definitely the first British sort of like um guitar youtuber of any note really yeah. uh, and it just you know i mean I, I, the way that he it kind of um developed a career as uh what a teacher and a demo guy yeah. then it became to the go-to demo guy then you know off the back of that you know you, you kind of got to admire him that he launched his own brand of guitars hmm. you know in a in a market that you know, let's be honest, is probably saturated. Yeah. To, to actually launch branded guitars and to have it being sold globally, you know, can't be knocked really. No. No. Well, we I won't say much more about it because um, a lot of that's all covered. So um, we'll we'll leave it there and just just duck into that interview and then. Uh, we can regroup a little bit uh, after it, and what we'll do is we'll we'll go from Rob, and then there'll be a slight pause, and we'll go straight to uh, Rabia because they were recorded back to back. In fact, uh, Rob actually ends up chiming in on on Rabia's um, interview a little bit. Um, so we'll play the two back to back, and then we'll uh, we'll see you at the other side and have a little bit of a natter about about what you've heard. Hello again. I'm kind of backstage at the backstage, backstage at the guitar show. It's not really backstage. Is well, there it? is a stage, and we are behind uh, some things. Yes, yes. So we kind of backstage, even though we're in a cloakroom, I think, um, at the guitar show. And I'm sat talking with uh, the legend that is Rob Chapman. Rob, hi. Good to talk to you. Hi. It's nice to meet you. Thank oh. you so much for having me here. And I reminded Rob because we've known we've known each other a little bit. You're really going to say something bit. really embarrassing. I'm not. I'm not. I wasn't going to say. It. Well, I might not. No, I'm not. I'm going to say. It. But we met about um, about a decade ago out in LA at the Nam Show. Uh, Rob was uh, tootling around in a hired convertible um, <laughs> and, and it was rocking that particular look. And that was the first time I I, I met him. Um, and at that point in time, then got to know him a little bit because of his his YouTube status and his, his sort of persona online. And actually, it was a while later I understood, actually, or really got the idea of the, the band he was involved in. So, Rob, talk to us a little bit about how that timeline worked. Because for me, most people were in a band and then became a thing. And you kind of were a thing. And I kind of found out about the band later. So I, I had been in bands since I was 18. I had always, I mean, my dream was to be like Joe Satriani or Kirk Hammett or Peter Green or whatever. And, and I'd been in bands for, for years and years and years, one called Hooker and one called yeah. The Black Hand and one called Fly Trap. And, and I fell in love with YouTube as a means of just making something fun and being creative. Yeah. And then I focused on YouTube because at the time, <clears throat> although I was still doing the band thing, I was teaching guitar. Right. 
And I made a video and said, hey, I'm a guitar teacher in Trowbridge in Wiltshire. Yeah. And if you want nice. guitar lessons, you can come down and see me in the county town of Wiltshire. Uh-huh. And, um, and it worked. People were coming for lessons. And so I thought, well, I'd better focus here on doing that. Yeah. And did the band thing as well, but didn't really talk about it. Yeah. You know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I have always been in bands. YouTube for me was a vehicle to to help promote and push the bands. Yeah. But it also turned into this thing that I became kind of addicted to. <laughs> yeah. And and it is an addiction. And you 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 were kind of that. I'm not saying at the beginning, but it was a good time to be there at that point in time. There wasn't quite the same amount of yeah. content and the amount of people doing what you were doing. Well, I I uh, launched my social media career on on MySpace. Yeah, MySpace. Yeah. Everybody had a MySpace I, account. I miss it. I know Adam misses it. <laughs> and um, I, someone on there said, hey, I love your video. I've seen it twice now and I had like 10 views. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> he said, you should consider going to YouTube. It's this new place. Yeah. And I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try it. So I made my first video <laughs> about 11 or 12 years ago and um, just got addicted to it. And how long, I suppose it felt a long time at the time, but how long before people started getting interested outside of wanting to come to Trowbridge for a guitar lesson? I think it was pretty quick uh, in hindsight, although, I mean, my first few videos were very much, hi, I'm Rob Chapman and welcome to my uh, lesson. Uh, oh, okay, uh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, today I'm going to uh, uh, teach the major scale and then I would play the scale and then show the notes and, you know. I was very awkward and formal and very British. Yes. You know. And then at one point, I got bored of being uh, formal and that kind of way. Yeah. And I just thought, ah, to hell with it. I'm just going to have fun. Yeah. And started pretending to ride a horse and, you know, (laughs) row a canoe and all sorts of crazy stuff. And then it, it blew up a little bit. Yeah. And by blew up a little bit, I mean a video had like maybe 20,000 views, yeah, yeah. which by nowadays standards is just is kind of great, but not a, not a big deal. Anything, no, yeah. Back then it was this huge thing. Yeah, yeah. And um, a brand who had a product in the video um, contacted me and said, hey, we saw the video, we'd love to work with you. Do you want to be a clinician for us? Yeah. And then it really snowballed into this kind of career of being a guy that demonstrated product, something yeah. that I had never known existed before. Yeah. And I kept the band going and then formed another band and then kept that going and then another band and kept doing the YouTube thing hand in hand, yeah. promoting the band uh, anywhere I could by playing my music yeah. through the demonstration. Yeah. So you'll notice that whenever I'm playing a product, I never play covers. I always either improvise or it's my own music. And then when I release music, people have heard it a million times. Because you've played it on a thousand different instruments. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And so who are the... And excuse my ignorance of this, but who... Back then, that must have been some fairly forward-thinking brands to have made that association. Because as you said yourself, it's a new thing at that point in time. Yeah. You know, so who out there was making that association of... This is a thing we need to work with somebody like that because everybody's trying to work with influencers now. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You're talking, you're talking a, you know, a Good, while, a long a while time ago. ago. So it was predominantly um, Barnes and Mullins, so yeah. Faith acoustic guitars, Faith, yeah. um, shadow pickups, yeah. uh, orange amplifiers, uh, vintage guitars, right? And um, that's an interesting mix, isn't it? And then eventually PRS guitars. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I, yeah, Orange and Faith went in hard. Right. They, they were paying me to do clinic tours yeah, and yeah. go off and, and promote product and they would sort of send me around and that's when I 
discovered what a clinician was yeah. and went off and did my first ever music messer, you know, music product teeth, Eben Buren stuff, you know, uh, Nam show, that kind of thing. And so we've got that, and then, and then that starts to really, really mushroom at that point. Mm. And, and the YouTube thing really, really goes really goes a bit bonkers after you know after that so what comes what comes next so well post the clinician thing i um in the interim i had started working with with a a really nice guy called called eddie kramer and eddie kramer is a producer and he took me under his wing and really did me the greatest favor on earth which was he he listened to me a lot while he would produce me being intensely listened to really helps you to focus on your playing. Yeah. But also he gave me lots of advice and taught me a lot of um, the ins and outs of, of MI that, yeah. I, that I had no yeah. understanding of at all, you know. And um, so I was really blessed that Eddie um, sort of, we became friends. Yeah. And he looked after me and, and introduced me to lots of people and I ended up kind of jo- becoming part of uh, a group of people who who did this for a living, yeah. and it became much easier for me to talk to other brands and to, you know, Eddie would introduce me to people and and um, to an extent he didn't manage me, but we no. were friends and we worked together and, and he mentoring just, to a certain it, extent. He was like my guitar daddy, yeah, yeah. is what he was yeah, like, yeah. and we're still friends today. And he's a great guy, and um, I mean, what <laughs> for anyone that doesn't know who Eddie Kramer is, Eddie Kramer is is probably most famous for having produced. Led Zeppelin, mm. Jimi Hendrix, and um, some unbelievably huge bands, and a lot of people that I respect incredibly well. Mm. So that meant that my band um, had this uh, opportunity to record at Abbey Road a couple yeah. of times, and, and it just gave me an edge, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so we, I remember moving to Brighton seven years ago, and I had a party in my flat which was the craziest thing to do in my own flat for my 100,000th subscriber party. Wow. I just brought everyone back to my flat. And um, I thought that was the biggest it would ever get. <laughs> <laughs> but again, you, you know, you're talking about stuff that you were at the beginning of. I mean, I've worked in the MI industry um, for, you know, for 20 years. And, yeah. and, and thinking back over my experience, really working with people like yourselves is probably a thing that's been the last three or four years. So you're, you're, t- you're talking time further back than that. Yeah. So you really were kicking open the door yeah. a- a- about this kind of thing. Because so like you say, it didn't exist. No, and I can't even tell you how many times I, I would say, I wish I had a manager to tell me what to do, what what I am. Because I was being a a presenter presenting product. I was in a band singing and playing guitar. The bands were doing really well, making money, which never happens. And the YouTube thing was making me money too. And then, then, lo and behold, out of the blue, Faith, uh, well, Barnes & Mullins, who are an amazing distribution company in England, um said to me, hey, we see you, you know, demoing and clinicking with our Faith acoustic guitars. Um, you know, we, we don't understand how people are coming up and asking for your photograph. Um, what, why is that? And I would mm. say, well, it's because of YouTube and social media and they see me and, and they, we, we feel like we know each other kind of thing. Yeah. And um, the amazing people at Barnes & Mullins offered me a signature guitar yeah. through one of their other brands, which was called Gould. 
Right. And I thought, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. Yeah, I can't believe it. So they said, yeah, tell us what you want to make. We'll make 50 of them, you know, nice and cheap and, you know, go away, have a think and then just write down the spec. So I went home and realized I love every kind of guitar. Yeah. I am, you know, shape, genre, agnostic. Yeah. So I, I made a video on YouTube kind of going, guys, I can't believe it. I'm going to make a signature guitar. It's so exciting. What shall I make? I don't know. I'm, I'm really excited. And everyone gave me ideas and collaborative design was kind of, in, in MI, was kind of born a little bit. Yeah. I don't own collaboration, obviously, but it's, no. I, I um, was lucky enough to have kind of stumbled upon it in guitar design. And we ended up making 500 guitars and selling them all. And then the, uh, you know, Brian, and Bruce yeah. at Barnes and Matt and Alex yeah. Mew who's just an amazing yeah. guy they said look this is way bigger than a signature guitar you should really consider launching a brand yeah. and just going for it and I had just answered the phone to Lee Anderton who said hey hey, uh, hi I'm from Anderton's and I've just seen one of your videos and we think you're funny and, and silly and, and this could be fun if you come down and shoot a video with us because I've been making videos with World Guitars Stonehouse Hitch and Jeff yeah. Pumphrey and those guys up, love Jeff and sorely missed. And um, so I'd signed up with Lee and Anderton's and we shot our first two weeks yeah. and they'd sold loads of this first ML1 guitar. Yeah. And um, Lee and I joined forces and decided to kick off Chapman Guitars together on a 50-50 basis, just on a handshake. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we operated... And Lee's that kind of guy anyway, so... Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. And we operated that way for years, just as mates, nothing yeah. in writing, handshake, you know, just just as he and I together, so... And that, and, and so, subconsciously, did you know it was all working its way up to this? I mean, because no. essentially you started building a brand of, you know, you, that Chapman brand started being built 10 years ago on the back of that... <laughs> call for guitar lesson alright so yeah. I, I I haven't spoken much about this and, I, and I, I don't know how much this is of interest to anybody but in a in a former life um, before um, any of the YouTube thing yeah. I, I had a, a job where I worked for Richard Branson right and I was lucky enough to meet him and spend yeah. half an hour talking with him and I, and I made one of the best decisions in my life to just ask him, how did you do that? Yeah. How the hell did you do that? Yeah. And he went, well, look at anything that works and realize that what is making it work is brand and not the product. Yeah. And that's why you can sell sugar and water and call it Coke and sell it for way more yeah. than sugar and water yeah. costs. Yeah. And so I, and, and as, a, as a marketeer working for Virgin Mobile uh, and managing teams there, I, I learned a great deal from Richard Branson and I applied mm. it in my life as a musician, mm. considering myself to have an actual job as well as just having fun and playing dirty yeah. rock. So I've always applied what I learned from Richard in that half an hour chat over a horrible coffee in my office yeah. um, to everything I did. Mm. And so building a brand was paramount to me and of course I realized that the brand ultimately was me. Yeah. Um, for now, yeah. I, I, I don't want it to be me long term because I need Chapman Guitars to stand on its own two feet yeah. um, but I applied basic marketing principles to everything that I did yeah. to ensure that the brand would succeed and my kids would have a business they could take over from yeah. me 
And ultimately, the brand always will start with the person, won't it? Yeah. I mean, there's so much that comes from the individual that gets embodied in the brand, and then it becomes a bigger thing. More people get involved, more people share the same values, the same culture, and then the whole thing moves forward, and it, and it, and it has a, yeah. a thing of its own. But it, it's always going to start with that one person. Yeah. And hence the reason for the question, did you realise you were building it from the word go? Which, by the looks of things and the smile on your face, I'm thinking, yes, absolutely, with the story you've just told, you did. I mean, I, I, I am... <laughs> I never thought it would come to this, man. I mean, no. my God. I mean, who, you know, I honestly thought maybe we'll make two or three guitars, it'll run its thing, and then I'll, I'll move into, you know, I don't know, picks and pedals or something, yeah. or maybe I'll end up with a small brand that does accessories. I, I had absolutely no idea it would become what it has now, selling globally, you know, just, mm. we are a... a I own a guitar company. I know. That's mind-blowing. I know. Uh, and it's um, it stands up on its own two feet, you know. And Does the owner of a guitar company still ponce around in NAM in a convertible? No. Right. <laughs> okay. That says something then, doesn't it? Well, no, it's more that you get flies in your dreads if you drive a convertible. <laughs> At the time, honestly, I, look, I didn't ever hire the cars or the hotel uh-huh. rooms. Uh-huh. We stayed at the Roadway Inn and Suites for the first six years yeah. I was at the NAM show. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's not about where you stay; it's about what you're arriving. That's true. That's true. No, we just get big cars that you can put stuff in now. You know, um, I, you know, I, I have these two or three hats that I wear just for the just for the microphone. My mate Beers just walked in, just, swearing just at me. In, yeah, yeah. <laughs> killed the audio. Apologies yeah, for the so, audio so drop there, guys. Just talking, you know, in terms of musicality in the room, we've got Rabian Massad probably one of the greatest guitar players in Europe right now. And then we've got Adam Lee, who is a phenomenal bluesy soul jazz kind of guy. Um, He's working with me on Clockwork Wolf and Company at the moment too on a gig on the 5th of March, which is going to be really fun and bright. And we have a cat litter tray over there as well. If we're Cat litter tray, right? So if I really need to have a poo later on. (laughs) (laughs) This really is rock and roll. Listen, Rob, thanks very much for that. It was great to to catch you up. Thank you. You are uh, entirely welcome, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me, and I'm really excited for Dorje to record the album this year, to release next year. We're going to be laying that down in June. Clockwork, thank you for asking, Clockwork Wolf and Company is recording an album this year as well to release later (laughs) this year. And... I'm really excited, thank you for asking as well, that Monkey Lord is releasing an instrumental album at some point next year. And there we have it. It's all about brand with Rob Chapman. <laughs> Love you guys. Cheers, take care. Bye. Right, so we're still, we're still at the guitar show. We're still kind of in our cloakroom. Uh, Rabia uh, has entered the, the room. He entered the room at the end of the chat we had with Rob. And Hello. Uh, hi, yeah, Rob's, Rob's still here. I think in a hope that he can disrupt uh, rather than any more that he wants to add. Uh, so, so just grabbing, carry on a little bit from the kind of things we were talking to, to Rob about, but really wanted to switch on this with Rabir. Rabir's been here with Didario Strings today uh, and did a, 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 a set on the main stage. Uh, and I just wanted to talk to you again, same sort of thing, little thing about your career through the industry, uh, how you started, uh, where you find yourself now, and I guess what you feel the future is. But give us a, a, a potted background of, of, of what's got you to today. Uh, okay, I'll try my best to nutshell this. Uh, I guess we were, I was working full-time with my, working full-time up north. From, I'm from Leeds with the band. Who Dave, who also works for Chapman, was the bass player. Yeah. And we lived together and it was like really hard to do debt collection five days a week and rehearse six nights a week right. and gig on the weekends, that kind of thing. 
until Ben, the drummer, was like, I'm, I'm done with this. I want to go to, back to uni. So he enrolled in ACM. Okay. And we were all scared the band would break up. So we all decided to enroll in ACM as well. Right. So we all moved down to Guildford right. together into a house with no real intention of getting a degree, although we're, gl- we're all glad we did. Right. Um, the byproduct of being there was being around people and in it, in it just a, a better place yeah, for yeah. wanting to try and make a career. Not knocking leads by any stretch. No, no, no. I love leads. Yeah. Um, but for career pur- purposes, it was better to be there. And of course, case in point, that's where I met Rob, you know, yeah. literally like within the first 18 months of being there, bumped into Rob. Uh, and it's funny because I didn't watch him on YouTube. I right. just, I was a huge Nuno fan and he'd reviewed a Nuno guitar. And that's the only reason I knew who he was. So and he came in, I recognized his voice. And, and then we got chatting and we were talking about Nuno and stuff like that. And then it was clear that we just wanted to jam and just yeah. like hang out. And Rob was very impulsive. It was just like, I've got a festival at the end of this month. Do you want to play guitar for me? I'm like, I just met you five minutes ago, but let's do it. Um, so yeah, so that was the kind of background. But then from then, which was 2011, yeah. sort of June 2011 till now has been, you know, through, through Rob and been, been able to like give me a leg up in so many different ways, introduce me to different people and brands yeah. and basically said, make a YouTube channel make videos, be yourself, play guitar and just see where it takes you. It, you know, it might reward you or it might not, you know, you yeah. never know. Just try your best kind of thing. And uh, yeah, like now it's, it's going well. And did, when you were going through that process of making those first few videos, did it, did it feel like an eternity or did it feel like it happened? I mean, no, in hindsight, you probably feel like it went really quickly. I kind of didn't take it seriously at first. Right. I did a few videos and then I wouldn't do for a few weeks and then I'd start up again. And then it took a while to kind of realize that maybe if you did put time into it, it would start to yeah. turn into a career. Cause it just, you know, f- few views and few comments, like it's quite disheartening if you, yeah. if you don't, if you're not told to expect that. Yeah. Um, and at first I didn't know that I just thought I, no one likes me. And then Rob was like, <laughs> Rob was like, no, that's just how it goes when you start out. So it was very fortunate to have like a mentor in that sense yeah. who would go, don't worry about it, just keep doing it, keep chin up kind of thing. Um, and yeah, I guess it, it, then I started to, when we moved to Brighton in 2013, that's when I started to, because I was kind of doing it on and off for a couple right. of years. But when we moved to Brighton, that's when I realized I should really just invest all my time into it. Yeah. And I'd fortunately been trying to do that whilst still at ACM. So I got to know guys from Boss. Yeah. You know, I got to know a couple of guys from Marshall, Strymon. Yeah. There's a bunch of different people that I was, I'd sort of started developing relationships with. And, and how, did, how did they get Anderton. in touch? How did they get in touch? Were they just... Oh, no, I got in touch with them. Right, fine, fine, fine. So <laughs> I, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was... No, I was proactive in that sense. Like, right. I really wanted to demo the Strymon Big Sky. Right, right okay. I, was, I was obsessed to demo this pedal. And I emailed them once a week, and it must have gone on for probably about 10 weeks. Right. Every week, no reply. Every week, no reply. Hey, right. just back, big fan of your pedals. I want to review, review one. Mainly because I wanted to start a relationship with them because yeah, yeah. I was a huge fan of yeah, Strymon yeah. pedals. And then they finally replied and then I, you know, and then they sent me a, a pedal to do and then I, in return, I, did, I made like 14 videos. <laughs> I made like one video per patch on this thing. <laughs> so I, I well overshot the mark, but I'm glad I did because I think for me, that was just... A really good thing to get on board with a company that I was what I, I suppose what I'm trying to say is I really liked Strymon and then so to be able to make that connection and then start a relationship by me being proactive about just being like hey I want to work with you guys I've got yeah. something to offer I'm really glad I took that step and I think that that's important if you're trying to do this is to build, yeah 
have self-belief and be proactive. But you say that you, 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 by your own admission, you say, well, yeah, I did a bit, then I didn't do a bit. But in reality, by the time you're doing things like that, it's a lot of discipline. So you've worked that out in your head. Yeah. Well, a combination of that and obviously and, someone and like Rob, Rob being around, Rob. you know, because we lived together, yeah. you know, for a couple of years nearly. Um, so, yeah. And like I say, at first I was kind of not taking it seriously. But like I say, when we got to Brighton, that's when I started to go, right, this is a career now. This is, this is potentially a career. Yeah. Need to kick off. And very nicely, Rob put me up in his house rent free for like yeah. nine months or something crazy like that. And then when I finally got enough video work coming in, I was just generally tuition stuff there was video work there was a few bits and bobs and then I moved out I was able to yeah. afford my own rent so and then the pressure gets piled on yeah but I like pressure in a lot of yeah. ways so I just smashed it for the last five years or something now and would you say that that focus is probably the key thing if you were saying to anybody who was trying to do something in the way that you've done it would would focus be the 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 one thing that you would say to somebody like discipline or is it is it about credit? compromise focus right. compromise and discipline um, my girlfriend would tell you <laughs> that I'm not very good at compromising. <laughs> right, right. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm definitely a workaholic, and I think that's because it just doesn't, it's not work in my head. Yeah. It's playing guitar, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's writing tunes, filming videos. Like, I get to play guitar and earn a living. So, so in my head, it's not work. I don't have to get up early and go to the office kind of thing. And I did that for so long. So I can never think of it like that. And I think... To anybody else that's not me or in the same boat, yeah, they can't understand that you're like, but I'm not working. I'm enjoying yeah. myself. Yeah. So it's been really difficult the whole time I've you know I've had a relationship, for example, to try and work out the compromise between you know actually spending quality time and taking your mind off something like the game, the yeah. career, uh, and then actually basically just not prioritizing time properly. I think yeah. that's the one thing that comes with this career if you know what I mean because you can have to put your all in all the yeah. time non-stop yeah it, it is one of the I mean having worked in this industry for 20 years one of the things you do find yourself it does it does overtake your life yeah you know and Big I don't time. think it matters whether you, you're working for yourself or you're working you know for a brand um, and I worked for a show microphone brand for a long time mm. and, and yeah you just you, you give a large portion you have to great mics oh, thank you <laughs> I don't work for them anymore it's fine you can no no it's fair life. but they are great um, but yeah no I agree it's like that's a huge learning curve. And that's been a huge learning curve over that time of, whilst the last five, six years I've been trying to smash it, I've also been learning how to do that in a way that I can still have a life normally yeah. and not piss people off or not upset people yeah. or not make them feel unimportant, you know. Yeah. And that's something that I had to, work, had to learn. Hmm. Um, but again, yeah, it still doesn't feel like work. Like this is technically work right yeah. now. Me being in being here, I yeah. could you could categorize it as I came to do a show and I have to do meet and greets and stuff like that. But how would I even categorize that as work? For me, that's just like as if that's something I get to do. So, how do you cope with being recognized? Well, I must do all right because I've got a massive afro on my head. So there's no way that, <laughs> that was you can just, sorry, that was me. a stupid. No, question, no, no, it's not Robert. a stupid question. Let's ask somebody who looks normal. Rob, how do you cope with being recognized? <laughs> it's. Me, I mean, we just—it's just part of our life now, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's that thing where it's like you can't miss. If you see a white dude with an afro yeah. and a chin strap beard, yeah. you're gonna go. How many people who plays guitar? Yeah. Like, and you know who I am. It's like there's not many. No, there's no, Claudio no. Sanchez that everyone no. tells me yeah, I look like yeah. all the time. Right. Okay. But um, how do I cope with it in this context? Fine. Yeah. If I'm out in town. 
I struggle a bit more because right. it's out of context. Right. And there's a bit of imposter syndrome that comes in there because like, you know, in the context of a gig or a show or anything like that, it's like, yeah, I understand that you may have known who I am or whatever. Yeah. But in the street, it's no different. It's just that I feel like, whoa, this isn't the environment for, for, that. for somebody to go, I love what you do. Yeah, yeah. And so I feel like a bit like me, like that. Ah, that's weird. I feel yeah. awkward. I start feeling yeah. a bit like, you know, I, I, it's hard to describe. I don't feel comfortable in public sometimes being like, thanks, man. Thanks so much. Like, yeah. check out the new record. You know, like, just feels a bit weird. Yeah, particularly, I guess, if you're with family and friends, it's a... It's a yeah. So I think I cope pretty well, but that's something that I probably need to try and address. <laughs> well, yeah, because it's not going to go away and it's not going to be on your terms, is it? No, exactly. It's not yeah. in my control. So, no, yeah. cool, cool. So one final question, a bit of a wider industry question. And to be fair, Rob's still in the room. If Rob wants to chime in, it'd be great to hear from him as well. Um, uh, as if he needs any excuse. Um, <laughs> it, you, you, you both do what you do and you have influence because of the following that you both have. Um, and that's something, in, in my humble opinion, has been somebody who's worked in the industry for quite a while, something that I think a lot of the, the brands are still struggling to work out how you deal with that, how you actually work with people like yourselves. Are there, are there more brands that get it and know how to interact with you, or is it Massively. still, it's got, it got better? I, I, I've always said that I think it's taking ages for people to ca brands to catch up on yeah. the, the, the real power of um, people, influencers. Yeah. I, I don't like using that term, but no. you know, it's easy to use. Um, I would say, we were talking about this yesterday, it does feel a bit like, you know, the idea of here's a demo, this is what it does, I think it's great, you should buy it, is kind of going. Yes. I feel like, I feel like product placement and more, more subtle ways to promote something. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. The technical term, ambassador roles, yeah. yeah. If you're seen using something uh, that people, you know, because you want to use it, then that enforces that it must be good if people trust your opinion, right? Yeah. yeah. So because you've got one shot at credibility, haven't you? I mean, as absolutely. soon as you sell out, that's it. You can only sell out once, can't you? Yeah, and to be honest, like, I mean, for that, ten million, that's, that's really hard when you review gear, right? Yeah. Because people and and you do get comments uh, like, "Yeah, but he's going to say that because he's been paid as a sponsored video." Like, and I've and I've made it perfectly clear multiple times now is that. If, if, if I don't like the gear or I don't think I'll make it sound good or ju do justice to it, mm. then I turn down the work. Yeah. So any review that you see on my YouTube channel is because I've gone, I think I could do a good job of that. So therefore, I get to just share that it's cool with yeah. people rather than tell people it's cool. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. because as I say, that, that, cred that credibility, that, that you, you know, that's, that's, that's yours and, and, and it's not, there's, no, there's almost no price in the world that's worth selling that out for. And also, I can't lie. Like, guitar playing doesn't lie. Like, you can't, if it's a piece of gear that you're really not vibing with, you'll hear it, you know? Let alone see it in someone's face when they're really struggling to, you know? So there's no point in trying to fake that, you know? No. Well, thank you for thank your time. Thank you. It's been great to talk to you. I, I completely forgot with Rob, but Rob's such a constant professional. He filled in all the gaps for me. Anything you'd like to tell us about that I haven't asked you about already? Anything coming up? Um, <laughs> yeah, we, so... In terms of music, yeah. um, the first thing that's coming up is a tour with Tosca. Uh, no, sorry, with Frog Leap, which yep. is with Leo. With Leo, yeah. Um, that's the end of March. And then in April, I have a tour with Tosca in the UK. And then in summer, we're recording the new Dorje album. Yeah. Um, on top of like festivals and stuff. Um, but for me personally, um, I've just started my own sort of t-shirt line. Okay. Which I'm shamelessly wearing right now. Um, but I'm hoping to really 
you know, apply some energy into that. Because I don't. Not, it's almost not, got a Roger Federer look about it. I mean, obviously, <laughs> if, it, if it wasn't not Rabia like, merch. No, no. Such, but you know what I'm saying. But know. I'd like to create a t-shirt brand that just bring out cool t-shirts yeah. that have no relevance to me personally. They're just, they're just, just does, but yeah. this is a yeah. first run. Yeah. yeah. Oh, excuse my yeah. So I'm really passionate about that. Something I'm, I'm really excited about. And outside of that, it's just my new guitars just come out with Chapman, and I've got a new pickup with Bare Knuckle, and a new pick with Dunlop. So yeah. a lot of mental stuff is going on I was going to swear you swear as much as you like a lot of mental shit is going on in my life right now we can mark uh, it as explicit and I'm eternally grateful for, for, for it all so yeah cool well great to talk to you and have thank a great you. evening cheers thank you cheers bye right then well that was Rob Chapman and that was Rabia Massad and that was the guitar show back in um, back in March two fascinating interviews uh, absolutely fascinating it was back in February was it? I thought it was the. I thought it was the first of March. I know they only did the Saturday. Which you're, was right, the 29th you're right. 29th of February. You're right. You're right. You're right. Not that you're being pedantic, but you're right. But it's my show. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. yeah. To be fair, yeah, he, he is right. Uh, don't like being admonished live on air, but there we are. We'll go for it. Um, um, so back in February, two fascinating interviews. Um, yes. I, what was what was interesting for me was um, I've known Rob a, a long time, and Rob is a definite personality. There's no doubt uh, about it. And yet, um, as you heard, he he you know became became quiet and introspective uh, the more the interview went on. And then to me, it became a real fascinating you know uh, human interest piece. Um, and this and the same with with Rabia. Um, it really showed the other side of of what it's like to be in the spotlight, and it, and okay, they've put themselves into that spotlight, and and they've it's something they've aspired to, and um, you know, wanted to attain. But in doing it, they've they've then seen the other sides of it. So I, you know, I I thought it was I thought they were both fascinating uh, fascinating chats. I don't know what you thought. Yeah, I did. I, you know, I think the. Um... Sort of, the, one of the bits that stood out for me was in Rabia's talking about the fact that, you know, he's, he's quite comfortable being quite tall with a huge afro in a guitar show, but then being recognised on the street kind of freaks him out a little bit because it's yeah. out of context. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I suppose it, it's, it's no different to, you know, what sort of like traditional sort of like pop stars go through. Um, I just hadn't really thought about it from a YouTuber's point of view, really. No, you assume I think because that with that generation as well, um, being so comfortable with their digital selves and with their broadcast selves, you assume that that actually then the other side of it, like being recognised, is absolutely is absolutely fine. But I think when you then insert other people into that mix, and you're out with friends or family who aren't used to that side um, of, of of you know of, and, and what it's like when you do that kind of work then that's when it becomes uncomfortable and 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 it's it, then it's kind of twofold because you're uncomfortable because friends and family are, are feeling uncomfortable and then you're uncomfortable as well because you know of the pressure that's putting putting on them so um yeah what that that was a fascinating a fascinating you know moment um but but no you know two two lovely guys who absolutely deserve everything that's happened to them and uh you know and and both of them in in their individual ways have have really changed the way that we 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 think about 
um, guitars and and how they're you know and how they're positioned. Um, it's kind of it's changed the way I, you know I've thought about the show as well. I mean, if you look at um, sort of like the live stage lineup, uh, you know, the two most popular, well, the three most popular acts really were um, Rabia. The tent was packed. Yeah, uh, Dan and Mick at that pedal show. Yeah, um, it was packed, uh, and Phil X, and and whilst you know, Phil X is um, uh, Bon Jovi's guitarist, yeah. obviously, um, uh, and you know he's got his own band. Actually, I came across Phil X because of his fretted Americana YouTube yeah. videos. So he's almost, you know, uh, one of the few artists that straddles both yeah. YouTuber and traditional sort of artist. And it's kind mm. of it's quite interesting that you know they were by far the most popular live stage performances over the weekend of course and that is that is interesting and i think it's interesting as well because you know phil has got charisma in 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 bucket, bucket loads. loads so you know phil phil can turn his hand to that uh and it's funny i've been watching some of his things just this week um that he's been doing and he's 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 eminently watchable um so i can see how that would attract and, and for the stage obviously the great thing is that we can be the contradiction that will make that rule perfect because when we take nine to forty-two to the stage uh, as a live event at the show next year, no. and literally no, literally no fucker turns up, then we are actually gonna, we are, you know, we are going to be the exception that will prove that rule. So, uh, so that's that's fine. Um, the reluctant oh. podcaster looks like he does not. He's absolutely. It's not going to be a reluctant live podcaster. He's just not going to be there. No, I'm busy. I'm running the show. I'm going to turn around and you're not going to be there. What, what's going to happen? Oh, someone's uh, power will have gone off or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. there'll be a whole dirty power incident on Thorpe's stand and that, that'll be it. A um, little bit of a sneak into the backstage world of the guitar show there. Um, so one thing we, um, I, I guess, I suppose we need to, need to just sort of talk to people about what's coming next because we're going to... Um, Stockholm. Well, yeah, no, no, we're not. Um, so originally, originally when we started, this was going to be um, this was going to be a, 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 a fortnightly show, but we've made the decision to start putting content out every week, and it might only be through the lockdown, but we've had the opportunity to do lots of interviews. So, um, so you're effectively hearing this early. You'll have waited two weeks in between episodes. Uh, two and three, but this is now going to be weekly for a while, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think mainly because um, we've done all these interviews during lockdown, and if we waited two weeks between each episode, we might end up, fingers crossed, having lockdown episodes coming out several weeks after the lockdown has been eased. Yeah, and it, it will lose context, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, so let's let's kind of get them out and get them done. You know, there's. There's no point in holding on to them if they're already recorded, I think. Well, the other thing is we've also, one of the things we've done through the lockdown episodes, and we have to warn people straight away that there will be a slight variance in quality of the audio because it's quite difficult doing remote uh, audio recordings, uh, particularly when you're relying on things like Zoom and, and those kind of uh, formats to, you know, to have the face-to-face contact. Um, but one of the things we have done is we've had a quick, we've added a quick fire round Um so we've added a group of questions that we've asked everybody who in the interviews we've done remotely. 
Um, and obviously that's not going to have, may not have the same res resonance all the way through. We might keep with the quick fire thing, but some of those questions are specific to lockdown. So that will, that will date the content a little as well. So that's another reason for getting it out. But while we're on that subject, we did say we would ask each other these questions. <laughs> the problem is, as you will hear in future episodes, I haven't got the questions written down. Jason has. So every time I introduce them, Jason has, Jason has to read them out because I, I forget what they are and what order they are. So we we ought to quickly fly through this ourselves. And do you know what? I knew this was coming and I haven't thought about this. So this is all so off the I'm top just going to ask you. I'm not right. going to answer them. No, I think you should. I think we should go one after each other, but we'll do it a question at a time. So all the right. first question out of our lockdown five, and they're supposed to be quick fire. So okay. what's the, what thing in your career are you most proud of? Um... <clears throat> And you can tell I've not thought about this because I really haven't got a clue. I think it's, this is going to sound a bit wanky and I apologise for this. I actually think, and it's not because I'm looking to you on the screen, I think it's the friends and the relationships I've made over the last 20 years in the industry. I yeah. I know it sounds a bit pathetic, but um, I, think, I think there's two reasons for that. One is because... Um, I've been speaking to a lot of different people over the last few weeks who I haven't spoken to for ages and it's been nice to realise how strong those relationships and those bonds are but also I can't point to anything of any significance I've achieved anywhere else so it's a little bit by default really Fair what enough. about you? Uh, I think I'm most proud of the fact that I've got knocked down twice and I've got back up oh that's a good answer see you've been thinking you've no. been thinking about this that's a really good answer that's a really good answer. It's a lot better than mine. Um, yeah. Okay, fine. Question two then. Uh, uh, which three people would you like to have dinner with? Three people I'd like to have dinner with. Um, ooh, mine could be very, very controversial. Then Keith Richards, without a shadow of a doubt. How can you have a dinner party without Keith? Um, so we'll have to do Keith. Um, I'm going to throw in... Um, Steve Hogarth from Marillion, who I know anyway and could have dinner with, but he's such an interesting, funny guy, and he just makes me he just makes me laugh. Um because he's a is 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 he's an eccentric uh, to a certain extent. He, he's kind of he's kind of the he's the Rick Wakeman choice. So if you chose Rick Wakeman because Rick Wakeman's really, really good value and funny, then Steve Hogarth from Marillion is my one because I love that band anyway. So that's that one. That's number two. And then I'm going to have to, because my my degree is in politics, so I'm going to have to throw somebody from the world of politics into there. I think I could go JFK, but do you know what? I'm going to go with somebody whose um, career I lived through, and I'm going to go Bill Clinton. Ooh. Because apparently he was one of these people that just stopped a room when he walked into it, or, or does stop a room when he walks into it. So um, I'm going to go Bill Clinton as the as the third. So there's okay. my list: two musical, one po one political. I should have got. I could have gone Woody Allen as well. Woody Allen would have potentially have been up there. Um, you know. Yeah, I don't think you can mention him anymore. No, or Harrison Ford. I could have put Harrison Ford in. I bet he'd be good value. Um, <laughs> and if I'm going, actually, if I'm going back, if I could extend it to six, and I'm going back through. Um, um, a moment in my well, life that I'm never gonna... as well. Well, and well, I could also have thrown <laughs> Gillian Anderson in here because I had a whole thing on Gillian Anderson when the X Files came out, and actually, Mrs. Incredible. 
No, I'll stick with my first three, but I've got a backup table there that's that's equally fun there. <laughs> a backup table that you... Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, you just sit over there, you lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to move for dessert. I'm going to sit with Gillian Anderson and Harrison Ford and, and Mrs. Incredible. Okay. Okay, what about yours? Uh, Keith Richards, yeah. obviously. Um, probably Ace Freely um, because of uh, my undying love for Kiss. Yeah. And he looks like the most fun member of the band. Yeah. Um, uh, thirdly, I'd probably go Kevin Smith, filmmaker. Right, wow. Wow. Because I just really appreciate his puerile sense of humour. Yeah. That's nice, nice. Right, go on then, what's number three? Okay, which piece of gear do you wish you'd never sold? Oh, you see, now this is really easy because this is... Well, actually, I've got two, but I'm going to go with the one that's in... in, in no, I'm not. I'm not going to... I'm not. Right, I'm going to go with my Ibanez RG550 uh, that I had that was in desert yellow. So my heart is telling me to go for the Squire Strat, which is the first decent guitar I had, which was a Japanese Squire, and I bought in about 86. Um, and I... Partex to buy the Ibanez. And everybody wanted an Ibanez in, in you know, late 80s. So I bought it about 88 sort of time. <laughs> Not everybody, mate. Uh, well, all right, fine. <laughs> but there was a lot of there was a lot of pointy headstock action going around. And I swapped it for the Ibanez. And I wished I'd kept it because it was such a lurid thing, but I thought a thing of absolute beauty. And also it was it was the you know, it was the original 550 when people it's pre-signatures or people so Satriani was going to move on to a signature but was playing a 550. Paul Gilbert was going to move on to a signature but was playing a 550. Steve Vai. So everybody was playing that guitar before they moved on to the signature models. And it was a phenomenal instrument. I wish I'd never, ever sold that. That's the one. But then the Squire before it, I really would like them both back because because that Squire, you know, Japanese Squire from 86. Yeah. So it's first guitars, which I think is a what is coming, you know, potentially comes up a lot. What about you? Uh, mine was the Les Paul Custom that I bought in 87, I think. But it was just at the point where nobody... Guns N' Roses had just started, but it was a very small thing. I mean, it's kind of hard to believe now that, you know, no one actually cared about Guns N' Roses at the start. And um, I was a massive Izzy Stradlin fan. Huge and um, I'd, I'd bought the Uzi Live Like a Suicide EP before Appetite came out and uh, just kind of fell in love with them. So I I bought a Les Paul Custom for 600 quid and then I'd had to sell it when I was about 23 because I couldn't afford to pay the gas bill. And to make it worse, I sold it to the uh, the other guitarist in the band that I was in and we're still friends and he still has it and he won't let me buy it back. That's... Your your answers are better because that's that's a really sad story. Oh, it, it is sad. Yeah, a bugger gave it to me a couple of years ago and said, "Oh, you know, like really good text. Can you get it all fixed up for me?" So I actually had it in the house for about a month. I, I just hate him. Oh, that's why people love you, Jace. You're just soft. <laughs> so go on then, number four on this quick fire round. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the best gig you've ever been to. Uh, first time I saw Marillion, Rock City in Nottingham, um, Christmas gig, 1990, in between uh, Season's End album and the Hollis and Eden album, I'd been just 
I've been so hit by the season's end album. Um, finally got to see it live. Went with a really good friend. Um, and 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 anybody who's been to Rock City, it's a tiny little sweat box of a venue. Um, you know, and to to go and see them there first time, and they were just fantastic. And they played songs from what what be, then became the Holders Needing album. And they played a, three or four new tracks, and just yeah, blew me, absolutely blew me away how good they were. And you know, as a band, so I'm going to have to go there because they're the band of my they're the band of my life. I think if you if the obvious answer would have been, I saw Prince at Montreux Jazz Festival. Um, you know about about a year before he died, and I've he will remain the most talented guitarist I will ever see. Um, he had that, and what I can only imagine was that Hendrix vibe going on. That he was so at one with the instrument, he played it in a way I've never seen a guitarist play. Time didn't seem to matter to him, you know, bars and beats and all that thing. He just played in a way that was so natural. He would drop in and out, phrases in and out, in a way that he was like, well, that can't work. That actually can't work. That shouldn't be. But he was the, everything was as ultimately musical as it was possible to be. So I think technically, if you want, in a room of absolute greatness, then it's Prince. If you want the one that means the most to me, then it's that first Marillion gig. Cool. Uh, mine is also Rock City. Oh, brilliant. Um, uh, that, that little sweat box. Uh, that little sweat box. October 1987, um, Guns N' Roses. Oh, oh, that's a good gig. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was, um, which is bizarre because I mean, obviously it's a very long time ago now. Uh, but and, and I have been to literally thousands of gigs hmm. since that time. I'm a fervent gig goer, and um, and I can still remember it. Where there are others that people go, oh, you were at that gig. Do you remember? And I'm like, no, I haven't got a clue. Um, uh, but I stood, I stood. Uh, what would it be? Stage right. So uh, I'm on the the left um, from the audience point of view, and um, I stood in front of Izzy and Duff. Yeah. Um, who, uh, despite what the press will tell you, are the two coolest members of Guns and Roses mm. by far. Um, they are the the punk rock heart yeah. of Guns and Roses. And uh, it was brilliant. I was, I was too young to get in, but the benefit of stopping growing at 14 and being six foot two by yeah, then... Get, getting anywhere. Was, <laughs> getting anywhere. Yeah. yeah no, and I was shaving by the time I left yeah. school, so it was dead easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that is... A, that, yeah, that's a, that's a killer. That's a killer first... I was, I was also thinking while you were saying that, I've, something else popped into my head, because I... And you might have been there, actually. Fender organised a concert for the 50th anniversary of the Strat. Oh, uh, no, no, I didn't go. Um, um, I, I've heard some really interesting backstage stories. Oh, though. I bet there were a load, because I think Ronnie Wood was running around absolutely pissed out of his head. Uh, yes, apparently he'd just come out of rehab and um, fell off the wagon <laughs> off almost the instantly. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it was one of those where it should be my highlight of my of my gigs, because, um, you know, in the same night, I saw... Gary Moore and I saw Ronnie Wood and I saw Brian May and I saw Hank Marvin and I, and and you know Dave Gilmore closed the show, so it should be the highlight gig. I mean, Amy Winehouse played when nobody knew who Amy Winehouse was. The problem was it was like a lot of these things that are put together. You have two songs and then a fifteen minute break and two and there's just no vibe. Oh, I've got an Amy Winehouse and me story. I'll tell you another time. Right. Okay. 
Is that a podcast it's not, it's not story or is it, is it an off-air story? No, no, no. It's um, it's a. I can tell it on the podcast, but uh, we right. we sh- we share something. We'll write that down. We'll come back to that on another day. So we better finish off quick because this is supposed to be quick, and this podcast is going to be hours. Um, last What's question. What's the first thing you're going to do post lockdown? I am going to go to somewhere and ask somebody to make me a flat white. I'm <laughs> I am I'm getting through coffee, you know, in in quantity. But I have never learned how to make a decent flat white. I haven't got the machinery to make a decent flat white. So I'm going to, in a quiet moment, um, when it's safe to do so, I'm going to go and order a flat white and just enjoy that one little pleasure that that I've missed. Um, Because a lot of it, a lot of what we're not doing, do you know what, I can now take or leave. Uh, I'm not going to rush back to a lot of things. I'm, I'm hugely missing. I'm a Sheffield United season ticket holder. I'm hugely missing the football and the crowd at the football. But I accept the fact that's years away potentially. So in the short term, just somebody in a you know in a in a safe environment making me a, a decent flat white, and then just sitting and not looking at my phone, not reading a book, not doing anything, just sitting and enjoying, looking out of a window with a with a decent coffee in my hand. Very good. Yeah, simple. You? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of torn. Uh, I, this sounds very sad, but I really want to go back to my office. I, it's a building that I've spent um, the last oh, eight, nine years in, can't remember now, um, that's in the back of my mate's tattoo studio, uh, which is always um, an interesting environment to be working <laughs> in. Um, and I, I, I kind of I just really miss hanging out there mm. i mean you know I, I walk in say hello to everybody have a chat you know walk to the back of the building go into my office shut the door um which has got all of my stuff in mm. uh, that i need and um and then come out and have a chat with them over coffee sometimes if they've got particularly interesting clients in being tattooed you know i'll make everybody a coffee in the studio and we'll go and see it and we'll have a chat and then i can go back and do some work you know it's just a I really do miss the building. Mm. <laughs> it's stupid. I can well, I get plus that. The fact that. Plus the fact that I'm still paying rent on it. Well, yeah. And uh... No, but I, I get that. <laughs> I get that. I can see that. But Oh, what a nice place to end. So look forward to that on, on shows coming up. Um, and some people do do it quick fire and, and then there's Glenn Matlock. Um, so, uh, but yeah, look forward to that as part of the shows. Um, I guess I have nothing else to say other than I hope you enjoy his going weekly for a little while. Um, and and we'll see you next week with first one of the series we're going to do Ryan Roxy Ryan Roxy yeah live from Stockholm live from Stockholm and that will be same time same place so uh, Monday 9.42am uh, next week and in the meantime um, please like please subscribe please share with, with friends we'd love to hear back from you so all the links to how you can get in touch with us are on the, the show notes but it's all through the guitar show um socials um and yeah we'll we'll speak oh, to you don't soon. forget spotify as well oh yes spotify yes we've we've added a spotify playlist we're going to put a spotify playlist with every show they're included on the show notes so look out for the spotify um playlists which are specific to the people that have been on that week's show or some of the things we've maybe talked about so they're available including for the first episode which is the ones that jason and i picked uh and then they're influenced by uh, by the people on the show uh, since then so check those out as well um, which are also also on the show notes right well that's it we're done I'll uh, I'll see you I'll see you next week alright see you mate bye bye take care mate bye
Thanks for listening to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. If you've enjoyed the show, then please remember to hit the subscribe button and share with other like-minded souls. For more information about 9 to 42, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the Guitar Show UK. This has been an A Short Stories production. Thank you.